James. Raf. Congratulations. On? We made it. Wow, big leagues. 100 episodes. 100 episodes. Century. 100. Yeah. That's huge. 100 feels like a large number. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really look back and dig into what we've actually talked about and done, mm-hmm. there's probably, what, 30, 40 minutes worth of worthwhile content in there? Podcasting is the easiest job in the world. Easiest job in the world. But also like your financial remuneration is appropriate. It's me. Yeah, it certainly matches the effort expended. But thank you, everybody, for supporting us to 100. We never knew it would get this huge. No. In um, terms of episode numbers. No, but like real talk, it was an idea. It was an idea born over some drinks. It was a dream, actually. (laughs) You know, it was a dream. Yeah. We thought, what if two guys could make a podcast? (laughs) What if two guys with a spring in their step and fire in their bellies Mm. could sit down in front of a microphone and talk for 45 minutes to an hour every week? Yeah. It had never been done before. No. It had never been done before. Genius. And we've proven that with a bit of grit and moxie, Mm Mm-hmm. Bit of lick spittle, bit All of that. effort, bit of grind. Mm-hmm. You can make that happen. Yeah. And a few people will listen. There Dozens you go. of people will listen. 100 episodes special. Imagine if we did an actual like. A clip show? Oh, yeah. Exactly. So we're now going to play you the highlights. We should have worn, <laughs> worn a suit. Like you wore last week, actually. You wore a suit into the studio oh, last here we week. Here go again. <laughs> Both eyes, we do like an awards night. Mm. Most epic SmackDown. Most skippable episodes ever in podcast history. When it's like a retrospective where oh, we yeah. just show the, the best bits of. We were never going to do that. The only thing we would ever do is to like ruthlessly interrogate our previous predictions. Yeah, except that we already set a time limit on them that's like at the end of the year. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. But like that's accountability. We don't, we're not here to, you know, lavish ourselves with praise about all the wonderful stuff we've done. A hundred is a social construct based around 10 fingers and 10 toes. That's exactly Let's right. be honest. Yeah, it means yeah. it's meaningless. Episode 99 should be no different from episode 143. That's exactly right. It's going to be red hot info in each as far as we're concerned. That's our mentality going into this. Grind, grind, grind. Absolutely. Once again, Dan Round is returning to the freaks in Hollywood mm. to figure out what they're up to over there. Yeah. Down in sunny Los Angeles. Yeah, there's solidarity going on in Hollywood. Certainly, yeah, yeah. And, like, we are, let me be clear, we are supporters of organised labour. Indeed. In whichever form it may emerge. Yeah. Even if it is those quirky freaks from mm. Malibu or wherever it is the celebrities live. Yeah. We back them. We back every union except for the police union. That's exactly right. And maybe the pharmacist guild. If it, yeah, we don't support them. The Australian Medical Association, they're out as well. <laughs> also, we don't like bricklayers. Don't even feel the need to explain it. We're just not in support of bricklayers and what mm. they're up to. But otherwise, okay, they're uh, standing strong, unionizing. Fran Drescher, the nanny named Fran. Yep. Because they're trying to replace humans with bots. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about this in our like AI job apocalypse episode, mm-hmm. which is like a month or two ago now. The script writers, the Hollywood writers, had gone on strike, the WGA. WGA here to stay. Mm-hmm. Is what you would be saying if you were a Hollywood writer yeah. on the picket line. Mm-hmm. But now the actors in SAG-AFTRA, the Hollywood Screen Actors Guild, are also- SAG-AFTRA, they don't like us, we don't care. 
No. So the actors and the writers of Hollywood are all on strike at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this hasn't happened for basically half a century. Fun fact, the last time it did happen, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, was the uh, head of the Actors' Union at the time, which gives you a bit of context for how long ago it was that everyone was on strike. Yeah. But we thought we'd, we would dig into this a little bit because there's a few different elements that intersect with, like, down-round territory. Mm -hmm. So it's a timely story. The two main things that we kind of wanted to talk about this week are basically, yes, as you say, the AI aspect and also the world of streaming. Yeah. So these are the two kind of, like, core complaints of the actors and also the screenwriters. Let's start there. What are the All complaints right. of the actors? The actors and the screenwriters basically have relatively similar complaints in this area. As with any union, they want to increase uh, how much their members are being paid. We should clarify, when we talk about actors here, it's not just the Leonardo DiCaprios of the world. No, it's not your Leonardo DiCaprios and, and Tom Cruises. They represent everyone. They represent everyone. that, are. And, in fact, the majority of people who are members of SAG-AFTRA are basically bit part background actors. Yeah, it's something like 80% of their members earn less than 25 grand a year. Totally. If you're someone that appears on screen in a film or TV show that's like filmed in America, you're most likely a member of this union. And yes, the majority of them are ones who either have very small bit parts in TV shows, they're background actors who just appear in crowd scenes as, as extras or in very, very minor roles. Yeah, or maybe so, they get a, a job in an ad from time to time. They get exactly. Even though it's very easy to think about the actors' union as being some of the most highly paid unionists in the world, these are people who are people like organised labour strong and yet get paid millions of dollars for a, a movie appearance. Yes, that's true, but there are a lot of people who are much lower on the food chain for actors and get paid peanuts compared to your leading stars. Yeah, and but don't like get me wrong, drive Uber like on the weekend. The leading stars are obviously a big part. One of the stories that came out in the past few days is that the Oppenheimer premiere mm. had to be brought forward a bit because all the actors that were in it are members of the union and walked off to be, you know, write their picket signs or whatever it was Christopher Nolan said. So, you know, they, they have people who, who earn a huge amount as part of as being leading actors as well as your background actors. Solidarity across class lines. I respect that. Mm. you got to respect that. But there's a couple of things that they're really griping about. First of all, as I said, the universe of streaming, which we've touched on a few times throughout Down Round mm -hmm. history, the streaming model, whether it whether it works at all, is still kind of up yeah, there. Yeah, still a big query over whether you can make money charging people a nominal monthly fee and still be able to create all of the content that is supposed to be like shown to that person exactly. paying the nominal monthly fee. Exactly. So, and but I, I should be more specific. Is everyone paying 15 bucks a month for Netflix? Is there really a business here that can make TV shows of like Game of Thrones or whatever caliber? I know that's not Netflix. That caliber of TV show, can you actually make these big movies that we're used to seeing, big TV shows that we're used to seeing? Can you make that? By with your revenue being these like nominal kind of monthly subscriptions? That's the question. Yeah. I think the question of can streaming work as a model and can streaming work as a model with like the way that it's currently being operated are kind of like two different questions. Yeah, well, and I, is there shareholder value, I suppose? Because I think the former question, like can you make streaming work, I think the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Is the current output of Hollywood and the way they make shows and the way they promote them and the way that they sell them and the price they charge and all that sort of stuff, is that working? Well, it's a relic, right, in that if you're talking about 
there's the advertising thing. It goes into cinemas. Cinemas have exclusive rights for have like a few months. People pay twenty bucks a ticket, whatever it is. So you're making like twenty bucks per view uh, at the beginning. You license off the rights to TV stations and this, that, and the other, and they have their own models, and that costs something. Then it goes to streaming, and then you get revenue that way. Blah blah blah. Then it goes to well previously DVD and you get like a 30 bucks a hit again for the actual physical thing that comes out a year and a half later. Obviously like that model is dying in front of our eyes. If not, yeah, it's, it's gone basically. Yeah. yeah. You know, obviously there was a big shock and disruption with COVID which killed uh, cinema releases for a little while. Yeah. They're back. There was like a really nice moment where it looked like, Oh God, the movies are back, baby. Mm. Like when Top Gun Maverick came out and made a shitload of money there's a lot of stuff going on. In that context, actors make money basically the whole way through that value chain as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like there's like reciprocal rights and per DVD, you know, 0.1 cent probably goes to one of the main actors because they've negotiated these deals and blah, blah, blah. And even the bit part players get like some percentage of yeah, you, every you, single you DVD. Yeah, royalty checks coming through. Yeah, it was, it was exactly. It was a really clear value chain where it was like, all right, great. You've starred in a thing. We're going to sell the tickets at the box office. Now we're going to sell it on DVD. Now we're going to sell the rights for like TV broadcasts and it gets added to like the libraries for shows to replay over and over. That doesn't really exist anymore. Even like it does obviously for a little bit. There are still people that buy DVDs. Mm. Channel 9 still puts on movies of a Saturday night. I don't know who's watching those these days. But obviously the vast majority of consumption happens through streaming. And streaming is a whole different ball game where – even the you know the leading lights of this industry, be it Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, are still trying to figure out what's the equilibrium of what you can charge. How much money should we be spending on like our original productions? Mm. It's still not one hundred percent clear. So stuff came out the other the other week about how much Marvel, as a like division of Disney, is paying for its shows. And the big one that came out was the Secret Invasion, which is the Marvel show that's currently playing. It's like one of their superhero MCU things. They didn't think that hard about the title, did they? I mean, they, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they thought long and hard about the title, but Secret Invasion? But it's based, it's actually, the name is taken from like a comic book. It makes so sense. Really, it's like an old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, it this, sounds like a kind of a right-wing talking point. It does, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it kind of is. The plot is that there are like various like world leaders and like superheroes are actually like secret aliens that have been right so it's like a communist red scare kind of thing so it is actually kind of like a a right-wing sort of well, thing. i guess i picked it all up from you, just you did because okay. I, obviously i've no. i'm never going to watch this i've never heard of this and i don't care about it well <laughs> see the thing is you are someone who doesn't watch movies at all no but even beyond that i would say most people are not aware that secret invasion is on mm. it's got a bunch of top line stars it's got samuel l jackson and a bunch of other expensive actors, mm. the show cost, all told, $220 million, which is an absurd amount of money. Mm. I have no idea how many people are watching it, but it can't be absolutely blowing the roof off. But that's just like a vision of just how balked the streaming economics are. So mm. it's like, is Secret Invasion actually generating enough Disney Plus subscribers to cover... $220 million worth of production. And you can add that on top of all the other Marvel shows, all of which are in that ballpark. Yeah, and I know it's far more complicated than this, but like yeah. 
back of the napkin math suggests that like that would need to be adding at least a couple million of subscribers to Disney Plus for it to be justified. Yeah. Uh, with one year of subscriptions to Disney Plus. And basically. this is where it becomes all kind of like weird to get ahead a lot. And we've talked about this in our other episodes about streaming and stuff. It's like, yes, you have to keep releasing stuff to stop people from churning off because mm. they're going to be like, I've subscribed to Disney Plus, but they haven't released a new Marvel show or a new Disney show in in weeks or months. Like, mm. I'm just going to cancel my subscription. So you've got to keep those people. How many people are actually like, I don't subscribe to Disney Plus, but I'm going to jump on board because I really want to watch Secret Invasion. Yeah. Probably not that many. It's not really bringing people in. If it goes for, uh, what's a typical three months, say, runtime? It's like, probably not even that. It's in? like it's they're normally like six to eight episodes and they release weekly. Yeah, right. So, so a couple of months. So if, if that, yeah. And then you've got to keep them there. Otherwise, yeah, yeah if, it's, if they're there for a couple of months and there's probably a first month free or first month for $1 t- discount, like you might have made 15 bucks off them. Yeah, yeah, totally. But the, on the actor's side, what they worry about, and certainly like the writer's side as well a bit, is that the clarity that used to come with releasing films where it was like, okay, great. The film came out in cinemas. It got sold on DVD. We had the rights that were sold to TV. We know how many people were what watched it because we know how many people went to the cinema and like we know the box office returns. Mm. We know how many people bought the DVDs because we have like the home release returns Mm -hmm. and then we like we know how much like the uh tv networks paid for them so there's like a really clear pool of money that comes out of that actors and screenwriters and everyone else that's involved at various points can say we want our slice of that yeah whereas now which would have been you know by 10 years ago because this is happening for decades very standardized agreements exactly whereas now it's an opportunity to renegotiate the contract from scratch yeah. Like it's not going to box office. It's not going to DVD. No. It's not going to TVs. It's, it is on one platform. It's all, it's all on one platform. And think about it. It's almost like the, we've talked about a few times the Spotify model where it's kind of like there's X amount of money every month that comes from all the subscribers. Yeah. And then it gets kind of divided based on how many streams you had mm. and that sort of thing. You'll notice that like Netflix, Disney Plus, all these kind of com- streaming companies, Amazon Prime, they never just come out and say, this show was watched this many times Mm. or like this many people watched it to the conclusion. You'll never get those stats. They're really, really cagey about it. Netflix has these like absurd figures when they they pay $250 million for a movie or whatever. They'll say, oh, it was watched for this many minutes. Yeah. In the first X number of hours of its release, it was watched this many times. Yeah. Just like really like vague figures which sound kind of cool but don't really tell you how many came out. The, the big example is like Netflix pumps so much money into original movies. Mm. Red Notice was a movie they released, like an action film. I couldn't even tell you what it's about. I think I even watched some of it. Uh, it's completely gone off the top of my head. I had no cultural penetration. No one is sitting around saying that Red Notice is their favourite movie of all time. Yeah. It is like content that was part of like a whatever they came out and said it's it's our most streamed movie ever. In the first X number of hours, it had this many views. Yeah. Obviously, that doesn't translate to people actually having watched the movie or no. any and sort of thing. Does it 
automatically playing in pre-roll in the background count. Like, exactly, exactly. You know, you, you have like that. Netflix will automatically start something if you hover on the menu for a little while. Or auto-play the next thing that it recommends. Exactly. Like you, you finish watching one movie and it kicks you straight into another one. How much of that is counted? And this is one of the things that like actors and screenwriters and everyone else that's involved in the production of a movie are like very antsy about. They're kind of like we're not really getting our what we're owed because we don't really even know what our share should be because we don't know how many times this movie's been watched. Mm. We don't know how much like quote-unquote revenue is being produced by it. Mm. This is where it becomes kind of like pure down-round areas in the sense that it's like technology has completely changed the way that this stuff is calculated. It's mm. given like Hollywood studios and executives the ability to be like let's like tinker. Let's tinker with the equilibrium a bit. Mm. And this has resulted in some like really funny shifts now that Hollywood movies and TV shows or whatever are distributed basically like YouTube videos. Mm. Yes, there's like a subscription package, but they're just it's content that sits on a service. If it's not performant, the studios will just delete it. Mm. And that's what's happening right now. Whereas previously there's this big capital expense up front. So and by that I mean you know you have to pay for the movie to be or the whatever TV show to be made, but like let's say it's movies. You pay for the movie to be made, you pay all the actors there up front free, blah, 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 and you pay for the marketing. They're basically your two main costs, right? Yep. Actually like producing the, the film itself and then the marketing. And then it's in your interest to just eke every last dollar out of that. Yeah. Like selling the rights to various different like global regions, TV stations, cable TV networks, DVDs, public screening. Then when you feel like you can't anymore, package it up into some 10,000 other Different into a, titles like, into thing, a library and, and then like, sell it off to someone else who can try and eke as many cents out of that as exactly. possible. But that's kind of changed now. And it used to be like there were movies you would release in cinemas and you'd be like, okay, that missed the box office massively, hugely underperformed what we expected it to, but that's okay. We're going to like make that back on home DVD, home video release, mm. Blu-ray release. That's fine. We can basically get another crack at it by like, you know, a lot of, you know, blockbuster movies, action movies, whatever, even like rom-coms, which don't really exist in the market anymore. Didn't do a huge business in the cinema, but it's okay. A rom-com will do huge DVD sales because yeah, everyone wants to rent that, especially if you're going straight to streaming, which a lot of um, movies, TV shows, whatever, did during COVID and until now, even though like that model is, I think the studios are releasing, there's more value there to be mined than just like dropping it on Disney or whatever. Mm. If it fails and it doesn't get the viewers you want, what's the point in it sitting on that service where anyone can watch it and you've still got to pay actors their royalties? Based on per view. Yeah. When what is the value of a view of one extra view to Netflix? Exactly. So this has resulted in the current trend, which actors are very unhappy about, understandably, where Warner Brothers or whatever will look at their library, see what's streaming on HBO Max and be like, it's going to cost us X to keep that there when what we could actually do is literally just delete it from the service, mm. pretend it never existed, claim it as a tax write-off, not have to pay the actors anymore. You're laughing. Yeah. Disney's been doing a lot. These are the shows that they've spent tens of, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on. Yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers filmed an entire... Batgirl movie last year had it ready. It was good. It was ready to go. It was all edited. It was like ready to be put out 
in either cinemas or HBO Max, and they made the calculation of like it's more profitable for us to just cancel this movie entirely, never put it out, mm. and just claim it as a tax write-off, which is just like a really funny sort of like economics that actors are obviously not happy about. Well, obviously, they're the ones who lose out because yeah. studios and whatnot are seeing that them as a just an expense. Exactly. So on the one side, actors and writers and other creatives are being squeezed by the fact that everyone's moving to streaming. Mm. The model seems like fucked, mm. at least not working exactly the way it should. And well, the, there's chaos, right? There's chaos. They, as they say in um, in Sanskrit, the word for chaos is the same as opportunity. Bro. Sanskrit? All that. Russian, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, whatever. <laughs> Eskimo, it's all the same, you know? Inuit. Uh, Apo- apologies, my apologies. Um, no, but, you know, there's an opportunity, obviously, that, to create new contracts and renegotiate and, like, in the turmoil of, like, these fundamental changes to how we kind of consume content, yeah. blah, blah, blah. People are using it as an opportunity to change the position of actors and yep. writers and gaffers, you name it, within that kind of system. Yeah, yeah, totally. And as you can, yeah, the actors are now being forced to like play by the rules of a system where they're not even given like full transparency into how it works mm. or where, what the results are and everything like that. Obviously, that hugely empowers studio executives. The other side of the thing comes from is the same one that the writers are butting up against, mm. but the actors are now concerned about it too, which is uh, AI and content. Mm. Obviously, a, a favorite down round topic. One of the stipulations in like the in recent sort of like contract negotiations between the studios and actors, especially those that are doing like um, background actor acting work, is that um, some contracts have come through which have basically asked, you know, these. Background actors, they've come in for their day rate to do a performance, but that the studios want to capture their likeness and then use it in perpetuity using AI basically mm. to fill out background shots. Yeah. This feels like they were trying to pull a Swifty. This is real kind of – it's actually movie vibes, like the, oh, they slipped the claws into the contract and it screwed us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but, totally. But I think it's kind of like funny because there's – of all the industries that are kind of sitting down and being like, what are we doing about AI? Mm. I think one of the industries that would be most immediately like there's an existential threat, you know, just over the horizon would be anyone in the, in the world of content. Yeah. I mean, already Reed Hastings kind of said this before. He's like, oh, who's Netflix's number one competition? Oh, it's Fortnite. It's not TV or this, that and the other. If you're Hollywood, your number one competition to a certain extent is YouTube, TikTok, it's attention. And there's this scarce amount of attention, 24 hours in a day, they say. I've heard. That's the limit, as I understand it, yeah. Like that's what you're kind of trying to monetize, like people spending time watching your entertainment, blah, 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 blah. So they're up against TikTok, YouTube, this, that, the other, and this new thing, AI, that's able to once again generate content and generate likeness and is only going to get better and better and better that is a competitor with you for people's attention. Yeah. No, totally. I, it's So there's there's a couple of dimensions to it. One, as you say, the Hollywood studios and like anyone that's in sort of professional, uh, like high-level content production like the studios are, have to deal with the fact that, yes, they're dealing, a lot of people rather than watching a $300 million movie, would, are just as happy to sit down and watch their favorite YouTube creator 
you know, or watch Mr. Watch, Beast. Watch Joe Rogan for three hours. Yeah, watch Joe Rogan for three hours. Watch Mr. Beast do like one of his weird little stunts, mm. um, which only costs him as much as he's willing to hand out to random people in a shopping center or whatever. <laughs> watch someone on TikTok yeah. just go like, um, um, ummy, <laughs> um, um, ummy. Yeah, yeah. Mmm, ice cream, yum. Mmm, mmm. I mean, we could do that, I think, very easily. Mmm, down round, mmm, yum. Mmm, mmm, EBITDA. Mmm, <laughs> adjusted EBITDA. Ooh, EBITDA. ARR. Mmm, mmm, thank you. ARPU. ARPU, mmm. Positive. Yeah, mm. adjusted EBITDA. And then meanwhile, all of our subscribers are just like pumping us <laughs> with little ice cream emojis that they've paid all this money for. If you don't know what we're talking about, don't even look it up. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's you don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But there's that. And there's also the fact that, you know, I don't want to necessarily sit here and feed the classic vision that like any sort of creative business where it's like the movie industry, the record industry, whatever, is like creatives laboring under the the whip of essentially fat cat executives who have no creative, not a creative bone in their body and don't really care about creatives but are just like eking value out of them. Mm. I mean, it's, it's true. Well, I think especially <laughs> in the movie industry, right? Oh, totally. It's, it's very much been kind of like a movie or a property or some IP is, is seen as an asset that needs to be exploited and you can, people will try and leverage that and get investors to invest yeah. in. Let's all invest in this because of this promise of future revenue. Yeah, yeah and totally. Blah, blah, blah. So it has been kind of super yeah. commercialized and productized in that sense. No, totally. And like, you know, what what is a movie except like a really complicated production that's made up by a bunch of people, some of whom are creative, some of whom are probably le- more just skilled and not so creative. Some of them are like cost $150, $200 million with the expectation that they're going to produce $500 million to a billion dollars in revenue. Naturally, a studio executive in Hollywood is going to be thinking about what are the costs that we can cut out of this process. Yeah. And you're obviously your top costs on an individualized basis are the actors. Mm-hmm. You know, your Tom Cruise's of the world are going to charge huge fees. Your screenwriters can obviously make a huge amount of money on these larger productions and things like that. And other top creative roles like your, your cinematographers, you know, whatever it's going to be. They look at the advancements in AI and they say, maybe we can't do it right now, but in the future, we are going to be able to get the AI to do the lion's share of the screenwriting at some point. Yeah. We'll be able to cut out all the, the day rates that we're paying to background actors. Yeah, and also the complexity of the reciprocals and down the line, blah, blah, blah. Like right now, the accounting associated with dealing with that stuff, just we, get rid of it. We can get rid of that. And because, like, obviously you can CGI in backdrops because, like, one thing that's kind of worth mentioning is, like, the craft of filmmaking has changed massively over the past couple of decades. And it comes up all the time that, like, I'm bringing up Marvel movies again because Marvel movies are the ones that, like, cost $200 million and make a billion dollars, at least historically. People that like movies and not just, like, like going to movies but are, like... Into movies. Into movies. Movie buffs. Movie buffs, cinema, you know, cinephiles. They'll show, like, a behind-the-scenes footage of, like, a, a new Marvel production. And it's all green screen shit. Yeah. It's yeah. all like even the props they're holding, like a, you know, Samuel L. Jackson will be holding a gun and it's not even a gun. It's not even a proper prop gun. It's mm. like a weird, like, stand in piece of metal with like the little bulbs on it to be later edited. It's because, like, in these kind of big productions, 
what they want is that like every shot that they take and they're taking it from a million different angles, the creative aspect sits in the background to like we just want as many possible shots as we can get out of one shoot. Mm. If we need cut it together or change it for international markets, yeah. if we need to take like a gay kiss out so we can sell it in Dubai, yeah. we want like a million different shots so we can cut it together properly. Yeah, yeah. For whatever package we need. Yeah, I mean it's less a fully formed script that is being yeah. now a director is taking and turning into their vision and just this kind of amorphous yeah. ongoing piece of content with five million different stakeholders all yeah. and, arguing and, over what's going to make the most money. And imagine how AI can benefit that. Mm. Like if the idea is that like, oh, I can just like without having a huge amount of CGI work, because CGI is very, very expensive and paying like a CGI house to build something. Yeah, yeah. Great. If you've got like Gladiator or whatever, like building all of the people in the Coliseum. No. But if you can do like a mid-journey-esque kind of thing yeah, where it's yeah. like, I know I've already got the rights for this, but these people's faces. Yeah, yeah. I can just like slot them in. Hey, presto. Imagine the, the cost savings there. And obviously the actors are trying to protect their turf. Well, especially if you're like one of those lower paid actors because the offer it seems was for the price of a day rate, and yep. yeah, you're supposed to be acting out some other scene or whatever. Your likeness is able to be used in perpetuity. So yeah, we'll slot you in the Coliseum, like for a gladiatorial fight. Like we'll put you as a cheerleader in the background of like some high school sweetheart movie. Yeah, yeah like exactly. you name it, you're just forever used and not required anymore. Like literally, yeah. you're being replaced. You're being fully replaced. I'm going to put it out to. I, I would not believe your face if I saw it in a Coliseum shot. <laughs> You think I'm too contemporary? You're too, you too. You've got modern physiognomy. <laughs> yeah, like you know like my skull shape. You, you, know, that, you know that classic. You know, there's that thing that people say when they look at certain actors and actresses, and they say like, "That is a face that has like seen an iPhone before." Mm. You think I'm one of them? Like, come you, on, look at these jaw bones. No, you say you've got. You've got. I've been in a brainstorming session. Face. <laughs> so, like, if I saw you one or two in a background shot of like intense gladiatorial combat. At the Colosseum in Rome, 500 BC. I wouldn't believe it. Just innate squeamishness. Yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, this guy, he, he has a Google account. <laughs> He's used Google Docs before, I can tell. <laughs> this guy has looked at his bank statement and been like, do I really need iCloud, Dropbox, and Google? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm sorry, but, you know. Yeah, I'll take it. So, the, I mean, the point of why we've talked about this stuff we've talked about in the past is that Obviously, Hollywood is probably the highest expression of, like, big money creative work, right? You know, the music industry, which is very intimately tied with- Yeah, but music industry doesn't make any money. Sure. Big money creative work, and they're turning the screws a bit. There's a realisation that actors are in a precarious position, A, because of the way the business models have evolved in line with the internet, Mm. streaming, what have you, but also- they're being squeezed from both sides. One, they can't extract value from the current way the system is organized, which is streaming. And then on the other side, it's like their labor is being devalued by probably the industry that is most keen to like get rid of people. So yes, the actors are being squeezed and being screwed. Yeah. Like that's be honest. But the studio is like being squeezed as well because they are. you yeah, can yeah. imagine a future, as I said, where Right now, like what they have is obviously they have, I guess, the production capacity and all of those resources available to like make these big films and TV shows and whatever and productions, as well as, you know, the magical creative 
juices and sparks to you know make these big blockbusters happen that can only be found in Hollywood. But in a future where like content is increasingly kind of determined by AI and you know you have these TikTok algorithmic feeds, and would it not be better if would I watch Secret Invasion or whatever? Yeah. If it was kind of tweaked to have a context that I kind of prefer with characters I prefer and I prefer the looks of them, like if it was in some kind of like art house 1980s style and nice kind of modernist kind of surrounds and blah, blah, blah. Point being like using generative tools to make it more personalized to me, that's not what Hollywood's good at. Hollywood are good at creating an interesting vision that is going to appeal to a mass market. But the idea of like the mass market and and pieces of content that appeal to the mass market is dying. They're being squeezed by this idea that as we move forward, A, people want content personalized to them. We're already seeing that with, yeah, TikTok. It's stealing people's attention. People would be more than happy to for free sit there on TikTok for three hours and watch an epic thing. But- as we move forward, as content is going to change and will be content itself will be personalized. As in, you can make infinite variations yeah. of like various movies and yeah, TV yeah, yeah. shows or snippets of content that appeal to people. That's not what Hollywood's good at. No. The, oh, it's an explanation, not an excuse. No, 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 but like in defense of their side, the thing that if you're a Hollywood, if you're an executive at Warner Brothers or Disney or whatever, the thing that probably keeps you up at night right now when you're thinking about your 10 year planning horizon. Is they're like, what if fucking Midjourney or OpenAI or any of these companies? Obviously, the trajectory is there. Midjourney has gone from looking like shit to looking pretty good in the space of one year. Mm. What if there's a future where someone can sit down and like punch into one of these AI things, generate me a blockbuster movie that you know is about people living on Mars in the year three thousand, and it has a train chase. It has like a love story and whatever, and it spits out something that looks good. Because, yes, the, the thing that a Hollywood studio or a content house can do right now that no one else can do is that they can pull together a massive production to make something that looks great mm. and probably cost $152 million. You can actually, with a few words, build something that looks great right now. Yeah, exactly. You're like, make me an Iron Man movie but not woke. Yeah. Bang. And like it, so, and it spits out a two hour thing. And like, you know, it could well turn out that that's not what people want. Because yeah. obviously, part of the joy of films and TV shows is that you can talk to people about it and there's like a shared experience of it. But this all feeds into all the various things that are threatening big studios. So I get why they would be like, these actors and screenwriters are holding us back from being able to defend ourselves against maybe not what the situation is right now because we're okay right now we're doing okay mm. but like the situation of what it might be in 10 years yeah yeah they're just like they're weighing us down for what the future of entertainment and content yeah. looks like i think there's definitely paranoia there but they're struggling to get the revenue from the same massive productions because of streaming etc and they're needing to eke out ways to like create margin Netflix isn't going to give you as much money. I mean, Netflix do their own productions, blah, 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 blah. But, like, if you're just not going to make as much revenue, you need to cut costs right in the here and now. And it's both, right? Yeah. You need to find ways to cut costs. You see this technology that's impeding your revenue, but you need to utilize it to cut your costs, blah, 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 blah. And you lead into this situation where, like, I really feel like we're in a transient period. Yeah, no matter what happens, I think because the current word, as I read in a news story today, that like the strike they expect to continue through to, uh, well, the winter in the US, but like the summer here. So that's many months of presumably not 
whole lot of scripted content yeah. being produced. The last writer's strike had like a massive influence on the way the content works. Like mm. the last writer's strike essentially produced modern reality TV as we experience it right yeah, now. Yeah. You know, they needed something that was unscripted and couldn't be written. Mm. And now they don't have the writers, they don't have the actors. There's no way that what we get at the end isn't like a radical shift in the way the content gets made and produced and whatever. Like yeah, something yeah. is going to come out of this that's like fairly substantial. But like as for whether actors and writers are going to be empowered or if like we have a whole new content paradigm coming out of the side, mm. I don't know. But yeah. I will say like I know I just went on a whole rant about like personalization and everything different. You're dead right that like, yeah, we want shared experiences. You're dead right that people, they like the narrative of act. Like there's a reason why certain actors get paid heaps of money. It's not because they're just so insanely good at acting. Yep. You know, it's because people like them and like their personality and follow them on Instagram and, you know, want to know what's happening in their personal yep. lives. And, like, there's definitely role for celebrity yep. moving forward. Oh, no, totally. Presumably that will stick around. There will always be room for, mmm, ice cream, yum, mm. Mm, yum. thank Evita. you. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to Down Round, the podcast about tech business and culture. I'm your host, James Hennessy, and this is my co-host, Raf Dixon. I hate to do the sales pitch straight out the gate, but this is so important. For just $7 a month, you can get two episodes a week of incredible tech analysis. We may not take ourselves too seriously, but the analysis is second to none. You could literally run an investment fund off the advice we give. The alpha is limitless. Why wouldn't you pay seven bucks? You're leaving money on the table. <laughs>